Good morning. We had, have two readings this morning. The first one is from Psalm 148, and it's just beautiful. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he, has, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a good decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens, and he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. The second reading is from Revelation 21. It's tricky to juggle the microphone in the Bible. Just excuse me for a moment. Psalm 20, uh, Revelation 21, verses 1 uh, to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write these down, this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. First, there was simply absence, void. And then from out of nothing, God breathed. God spoke. God created spirit, word, and deed. From out of nothing, from absence, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And that's what we're told in God's word to us in the Bible. That is how he did it. And he wrote it down for us so that we might know. We find this in the very first chapter of the first book in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And I don't want to get ahead of myself because we're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 1 to 11 later in the year. So we have that beautiful psalm read for us. Psalm 148, which I think captures something of the spirit of the creation account and points us to the person of God to whom all praise is due. Now, God wants us to know him. And he also wants us to know why we're here. So from the beginning of history, when people wanted to understand, they sought to give an account of reality. Uh, in part because they wanted to take command of their lives, if that were possible. And so as a result, one thing that we can agree is that in life, morals are significant. Though we may not understand or describe it this way, ethics is the study of life together and how we ought to live. And this sermon series aims to help us develop a biblical ethic by which to live. The context for the Bible shows us that humanity is in rebellion. God, in his word, promises to save us from this rebellion against him, and the way in which he fulfills this promise is in the person of his son, Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ, his one and only eternal son who can make us truly alive. And the Bible as God's word to us tells us all about who he is in the person of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Three persons, one God. And who we are and how we live together in this world, in relationship with him and with one another, is important to God. And he has given us the means to understand what is good and what is right. And it all begins with knowing and trusting his Son, our Savior, and the Lord of all, Jesus Christ. Jesus came, he died for us. He right now lives, having been risen, at the right hand of his Father in heaven, and he promises to take us again to be with him for all eternity. So as we think about in these next five weeks what it means to build a biblical ethic, we're not just being prepared for this life, we're being prepared for the life to come. Now, guys, this has not been an easy week in terms of thinking about how to build a biblical ethic, and over the weeks ahead, I don't think it's going to get any easier, so I'm really grateful for your prayers as I seek to unpack this series. I'm going to ask God to be with us and to help us and direct us now. So would you join me in prayer? Our Father God, we long for our thoughts to follow your thoughts. We long for our lives to follow the life of the Lord Jesus. We long to be resting in your grace, but not left where we are, because we know your grace is a transforming grace. 
And we pray, Father God, as we spend this time together trying to think your thoughts after you and live lives that honor you, that you would please help us because we desperately need your help. We're very grateful for your word. We're very grateful for your spirit. And so we pray that you would align us in such a way that we would grow together in our appreciation of who you are, of what you have done, and what you continue to do amongst us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, for our series, the big idea is really that we're going to be working with some building blocks, hence the scenery on the platform. And we'll begin by thinking this week about A for Alive. If we can just move on to um, our big idea. Thanks, Catherine. Uh, The big idea really for the series is that God breathed. He spoke and he created all things into being according to his good order, making us alive. And then next week, we're going to look at how he created us both male and female. Thanks, Catherine. And then we're going to consider what it means to be connected in singleness and in marriage. Then what it means to be devoted in the bearing and raising in children. And then in our final week, how God plans to have us established into his final eternal family forever. That's the journey we're hoping to go on. Three points this morning. This is the big idea for today. In the beginning, God created. God breathed. God breathed by the power of his spirit, by the Ruach, creation into being. This is what we read in the Bible. But the question, no doubt, has arised at some point in our minds, is this really true? Is it? Because before I get started, I'm already asking myself, is it possible that what was here was here already in some shape or form? I'm comforted by the fact that I know many scientists who've thought those thoughts before me. And so I'm in at least some good company because there are a lot of scientific theories about how existence came to be and they do not include God. Uh, Firstly, I want us to think about what it means to have come out of something because there were once popular theories of creation that matter already existed. Um, From a pre-existent material that all we can see and hold came to be. Uh, The idea within our world that a spark made contact with some form of water that then in time became like a primordial soup. The idea that hydrothermal vents have existed deep in the ocean and somehow impacted the basic building blocks of life to create elements and compounds. And then you have the slow build of genes or perhaps first it was metabolism giving rise to life. Some theorists say that life came from extraterrestrial sources, that uh, we had life initially on Mars and somehow it got transported here. Other folks have conceptions of the multiverse, very popular today in all our Marvel superhero movies. But there's scientific theorists who unpack and build upon this idea and many other theories that best fit into the notion of creatio ex materia. That is something from something. But then my mind goes to, well, what about that something? 
that very first stuff, you break it down and down. Where did the basic raw building blocks come from? The first stuff of life, these elements, these atoms, where did they come from? And I begin to think to myself, well, these theories might be possible, but they just seem a little bit unlikely. And so then my mind goes to the idea of out of nothing. Brings us to the more recent and attested to scientific explanations. And I think probably at this time, and I have a degree in biology, but it's well out of date. And I know that we have some people in the room who are far better qualified to speak to this, so I'm treading very carefully. We have this idea of the origin of everything through the Big Bang. I know that there's a Big Bang theory for ex materia and a Big Bang theory for ex nihilo, so let me cover that off. But let me play with these ideas with you to say that the Big Bang theories of creation come from observations of movement. Galaxies propelled through space and time with growing gaps, but from a massive initial event, uh, producing the basic building blocks of gravity and electromagnetism and the stronger and weaker nuclear forces. It seems to me that this theory could coalesce with creation ex nihilo or something from nothing which in turn requires some kind of force or process or person behind it to create the very first stuff of life a supreme being if you like who preceded creation itself as creator this aligns with the cosmological argument that is if it exists, it has cause. And people have been thinking about this well, as long as people have been thinking. In fact, I take us all the way back to the thoughts of Aristotle and that idea of first cause. And I know that mythologies, as you do, and, and religions, as you do, show a variety of creation stories. Most of them begin with the idea of the birth of the universe, some of them situated on Earth, some of them situated further afield, some right out in the cosmos. And there's some unity in these creation stories, but there's often diversity between them. But common to many of them is this notion of first cause. The thing or the person which itself or himself or herself does not have a cause. And the Greek, the Greek thinker Aristotle um, was the first one who kind of articulated this by way of what he called the unmoved mover. He expanded cause to include things like the material cause and then the formal cause and then the cause of means, and then the final cause. And it's interesting, I find, that a Greek philosopher has something of a big idea which reflects something of the truth in the Bible. And I like this notion. Because to my mind, this is humanity thinking creatively. Where does that come from? Is it possible that that is a mirror and a reflection of our Creator? He who breathed life. He who made it all with his spoken word. The first cause or person who gave existence to all that we can point our telescopes to in the sky and our microscopes on in a laboratory. Well, where do we go with this? I think naturally we move to where we see how God spoke. My second point. God spoke, God breathed, God spoke, and his creation mechanism does raise questions for us. Questions like, is evolution plausible? Is it true that we have evolved from simpler organisms over millions and billions of years? 
or is it more likely that there has been a quick six-day compression of fossils for us to find? I'm going to encourage you to talk about that over morning tea. Because I had some great conversations after 8 o'clock and there's a variety of views within our family. But what I don't need to do during this series, thankfully, is reconcile the mechanics of how God made his creation. Because God's word is far keener for us to understand the answer to the question why he made us and our creation in which we live. But he does want us to know how we may now live. And where we start with that is in the revealed word of God in the Bible. The Bible gives us all we need to know about why we are here, but it also gives us the tools to build an ethic of how we may live in creation through his word. If any speech or text or book is really from God, then it's very important that we know it and read it or hear it. And God would inevitably communicate to his creatures in such a way as they understand and communicate differently, if he's God, from people pretending to be God. So he must give some form of authenticity to his word, right? And I think he achieves that. Because the Bible is evidenced for its historicity by way of archaeology and its accuracy by way of manuscripts. In fact, the many and varied copies of manuscripts exist and confirm one another. Indeed, the Bible, in part and whole, is the most attested to document that we have of all the ancient documents. But what about the inspiration of this Bible by God. Well, that I think he achieves through his words, through his people. The word of God we read in Hebrews 6 is living and active, judging the meditations of the mind and the affections of the heart. And the Bible claims to be inspired truth by containing supernatural evidence. Many varied spokespersons of God over the years called prophets, inspired by his spirit, spoke for him. And God uses miracles, not only of inspiration, but also of fulfilled prophecy to authenticate them. Those prophets who spoke to his nation Israel and Judah, and those prophets who spoke, spoke about the person of his son Jesus. You, you think for a moment perhaps to the prophet that you recall. I chose Daniel, because so clearly what Daniel spoke, and we have written for us, was fulfilled prophetically by the nations of Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel all prophesy about the destruction of their neighbors, addressed to various groups and over various periods. All these things historically have been demonstrated to come about. All the prophetic books written well before events took place. And each of them pointing us uniquely to the person of Jesus. You see, Jesus' name, Jesus' birthplace, the circumstances of his birth, his life and his miracles, his words, his death, and his resurrection were all written about centuries before he came into the world. 
Do you know there are nearly 300 fulfilled prophecies in the Old Testament across the Tanakh that are fulfilled in the person of Yeshua HaMashiach or Jesus Christ. It is a unique document with unique authentication and power. And the Bible is always confirmed as supernaturally God-inspired, not least because the Lord Jesus himself confirmed it as truth. And we come at that point as we think about the Lord Jesus, not only that God spoke through his word, but as his word, if you like, with a capital W. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was with God in the beginning is a reference to the person of the Son of God, Jesus. That Greek idea of logos, or wisdom, is translated literally as the word. And the follower of Jesus, John, uh, wrote to share Jesus with a Greek audience. He wanted to meet them where their mind was at. And so the word here is a title for the Lord Jesus, meaning wisdom. God embodies in his Son both wisdom and truth. And God speaks as creator to humanity through creation, He speaks as sustainer to us through his prophets, but he speaks fully and finally in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, as we read in Hebrews 1.1. And we believe he's given us all that we need to live life well. So thirdly and finally, my point that I want to finish on is this, that God created, God breathed, God spoke, and God created Creatures like you and me made in his own image. And creatures who are moral-minded creatures. We inherently want an ethic to live by. Let me demonstrate it for you. I know today's not the day to talk about this because it's pouring with rain. But normally, in the backyard in Australia, what are we doing during the summer? We're playing games with our family, and there's nothing quite like the backyard game of cricket, is there? And I want you just to imagine for a moment a child who's playing cricket with his family. And there he are, uh, is with his bat. Um, for the rules of the game, because um, sometimes the adults are a bit better than the kids, the adults have to be dismissed once, but the kids have to be dismissed twice. And um, he's caught out, but behind him, so he doesn't see the catch. Later... The balls come, and then he's bowled out, and he's told to hand over his bat. Can you see where this is going? The boy is upset because every child has to be dismissed twice. He was dismissed twice, but he didn't see the first dismissal. And so he turns to his dad, and he says to him, what? That's not fair. Is it? I mean, it's a very simple picture, isn't it? But look at the complexity. Is it fair? How do we work that one out? I mean, let's notice first that there's a moral outrage in the child. He feels betrayed. He feels cheated. And I think you and I have felt that at some point ourselves in life, haven't we? So building an ethic, I think, goes a little bit like this. All of us have by nature a sense of morality, but it can be hard to express what it is. So what we can do is we can look at the world and look at the moral standards by which people live by, and we can describe them. And that is a domain called descriptive ethics. 
But that's not enough, is it, just to describe somebody's moral standards and how they live? We want to understand or explain which moral view is the best one to live by. We need to find out which moral standards normally should be ones lived out. And that's another domain called normative ethics. That's where we want to locate what is right and true. But then we've got to take a step back again and go, hang on a minute, there's all these different ethics and different codes about what is right and different values. How can we begin to not just describe or think about how we should live, but also balance up those moral values and see which one is justified? And that's where we get into the realm of meta-ethics. And then I look at you again and say, we've got our work cut out in the weeks ahead, and I would really appreciate your prayers. But let's take a step back and think about what we're doing here. Our aim is not just to describe ethics, and our aim is not just to get lost in thinking about ethics. We want to think about how we might live now in God's world. And for this, we need to understand how God made things with two qualities, nature and purpose. You noticed just a moment ago there was a frog on your screen. Um, I just leave that with you to remember. He created us, God. He created the world in which we live. And he also gave order. Understanding God's good order includes knowing the nature of creation. That reading that we had from, I know it's distracting on screen. Come back to me, folks. In Psalm 148, did you notice how there were different kinds of creatures? And how God gave them different spaces within which to have their being. That was their nature. Their form or their nature gives us what is called their generic order. But then the functional purpose of those things gives us what we call the telic order. Those words are just taken from Greek words. Generic just kind of means form or nature. Telic just means purpose or function. But creatures and creation are ordered for a purpose. For example, food uh, fruit, I'm sorry, is food. Some people think that frogs are food. Creation is given to humanity by God to care for and rule it responsibly. In God's creation, the purpose of the thing governs the nature of its uh, its nature or design. Sorry, let me say that again because I got muddled. In God's creation, the purpose of the thing governs its nature or design. In other words, the purpose of the thing is included in God's design for it. And humanity has been given purpose by God. We were told at the beginning to be fruitful and multiply. We were told to fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, to be responsible for life in creation. And so when I came up with the big idea that I shared with you at the beginning... Really, I think that's shaping what our ethic ought to be. In the beginning, God created. Male and female, in singleness and marriage, for the bearing and raising of children to be finally established into his family forever. Our nature and purpose are related. We can think and feel and choose, but God wants us to understand his plan for us, and he wants us to follow his plan for us, because it is the best plan for us. 
And the nature he gives to us and creation is best for us to fulfill our purpose. And we shall be looking at exactly what that means in the weeks ahead in those domains. But, and it's a big but, we are broken. You see, order has been established in creation for its inherent purpose by God, but it does not end there. Knowing our nature and knowing our purpose is not enough. And this is why we need God's word to us in the Bible. And this is why we need his spirit to help us understand. Because we have been broken. Broken by the effects of our rebellion against God. And creation remains damaged by sin of rebellion against God. Nature is broken. Creation is broken. And our minds have been corrupted too so that we cannot read the cues properly from creation. In other words, in a broken world with broken people, we need God's renewal. Our understanding of morality and building an ethic to live by is completely dependent upon the Word of God revealed to us and the Spirit of God who indwells us to renew our minds and renew our hearts God's good order gives humanity a priority to love God and to love others. And neither of these things can we do unless we are transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where I want us to land as we think about this series. That when we are made alive in Christ, when we come alive in Jesus Christ, by coming to him as Savior from our sins, and receiving forgiveness from God for our rebellion against him, when we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him as the Lord of our lives and surrender ourselves into his hands that he may shape us, when that moment comes, and it's an offer to everyone to trust in the Lord Jesus and surrender to him, that is when God will enable us to obey his word and to build a biblical ethic. It requires us first to be alive, The breath of God, the speaking of God, the creation of God is both physical and spiritual. And this is why we finished on the reading from Revelation because, brothers and sisters, the transformation God will work about us in the weeks ahead through his word and spirit is not just preparing us for a life to be lived in the here and now. It's preparing us for eternity to make us ready to be with the Lord Jesus forever and to be with one another forever when all the effects of the brokenness of sin will have perished and we shall live together according to God's good order. So I'm going to pray again that he would help us on this journey. I wonder if you'd join me. Let's bow our heads to our loving Father in heaven. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to put together some building blocks in this series as we study your word And you prepare us for an eternal future so that we might understand what it means to know you fully and to live in this world in a way that brings you honor and glory and praise for you are worthy. We know in and of ourselves, as Maddie was praying for us earlier, that we are fragile, broken creatures. But we thank you, Father God, for the power of your gospel to transform us, the power of your spirit to transform us that we might know in the beginning God created male and female in singleness and marriage for the bearing and raising of children, that we as your people might be established in your family forever. 
And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Why don't you stand with us again as we sing um, Only a Holy God.